Hello and welcome to Children's University Live, a podcast series from Children's University, the charity that encourages, tracks and celebrates young people's participation in learning beyond the classroom. Now, if you're new to Children's University, do check out childrensuniversity.co.uk for more information about how we help over 100 thousand children each year to develop essential skills, confidence and character through informal learning. To bookmark this podcast, just hit subscribe on the podcast app where you're listening to this podcast right now. This episode was recorded live at the Children's University Conference in October 2019. It features Sam Butters, CEO of the Fair Education Alliance, and is followed by a Q&A with Children's University CEO Helen O'Donnell. Back in 2019, we became members of the Fair Education Alliance. We joined over 100 organisations working together in coalition to end educational inequality. Sam's talk gives a brilliant overview of the FEA and how they work. Sam does occasionally refer to her slides in her talk and a link to these can be found in the show notes. Enjoy! So thank you so much for that introduction and thank you so much for having me here. It's a real privilege and um, and already um, just listening to Helen's opening and then Saeed's presentation too, I can tell that it's just chiming with so many things that I personally believe and um, the Fair Education Alliance believes in as well. So delighted to be here and be part of it and hopefully um, can share a little bit more about what the Fair Education Alliance does, what Children's University being part of that means and what that means for you um, as um, Children's University Network and Partners. So um, I'm Sam and I've led the Fair Education Alliance for the last two years. Um, And what the Fair Education Alliance is, um, for those of you who have not come across us before, um, is a coalition of over 150 now organisations from lots of different sectors. So charities and social enterprises, um, education institutions, right from um, nurseries through schools through to universities and colleges, um, the education unions, policy think tanks, um, uh, who haven't I mentioned, um, lots of organisations who all believe in one um, goal. And that is that we should have an education system that is fair, where no child's educational success is limited by their socioeconomic background. But as Helen alluded to earlier, this isn't something that's kind of a new goal or a new um, concept. The very fact that there are hundreds of organisations out there who want this goal that education is not fair, young people from low-income communities are much less likely to succeed in education. They know this problem and many of us, many of you, are all working um, towards this goal every single day. But the real problem is that progress is too slow. 
And despite all of these um, hundreds of organisations, thousands of individuals and successive governments actually stating this as a priority to change, we are still in the situation that we know that um, young people are um, from disadvantaged backgrounds are eight months behind um, at the end of primary school than their more wealthier peers, that they're um, half as likely to achieve passes in their GCSEs. And it's not just an academic attainment. Um, I'm preaching to the choir, but we know that it has um, knock-on effects on how likely they are to be excluded from school, where they're likely to go on after school, how likely they are to go to university. This year, we released a report with Education Policy Institute in July um, that shockingly, we've measured progress in how we're doing on educational inequality um, over the last five years. And this year, we found that for the first time, progress in narrowing those gaps is actually beginning to slow. So in the last five years, we've seen small, um, kind of arguably insignificant progress, but things have been moving in the right direction. Gaps have been closing, albeit slowly. But this year, for the first time, we saw that um, those trends are starting to stagnate and um, actually reverse in some areas. So at secondary school, um, the gap is starting to widen between disadvantaged pupils and their wealthier peers. And very definitely, gaps between London and other areas in the country are definitely starting to widen and um, the overall progress um, is actually masking that in some areas we're seeing um, inequalities rise. So I guess there's three things that I'm um, talking about when we say progress is too slow. One is the fact that, as I say, we've got all these organisations and individuals working towards um, this goal, but still that systemic change has not been realised. But also that a lot of us have the same vision and the same goals, but almost because we're framing it in slightly different ways or coming at the problem from slightly different angles, what we end up can end up doing is, is competing with each other for airtime and saying things in slightly different ways, which means we're tripping each other up rather than using this collective force and changing things and moving things in the same direction. And then the third thing in the sense that progress is too slow and, and, and work is fragmented is that often those closest to the issues, so communities themselves, young people, teachers and leaders, frontline workers, who are closest to the issue and therefore are likely to have solutions, do not actually have the platform to influence change. And too often, those who are kind of have the power or the influence to drive change are quite distant from, from what's actually going on in the ground. So the Fair Education Alliance exists to bring a new approach and try and achieve something that's only possible if we come together to change um, uh, inequalities in education that wouldn't be possible continuing in this siloed approach that we have so far. So the first thing is ensuring diversity of viewpoints in collective leadership. So what we're saying is we can no longer go on having certain people in certain positions of power making all the decisions about what happens. We need to start bringing different voices to the table in this collective leadership. Voices of young people, voices of people working with young people every day, voices in communities, voices of business who are saying that actually there's problems in, in what they are able to um, see in their potential recruit, recruitees or not see, as the case may be. Um, the voices of the policymakers who have the evidence and, and um, impact measurement of what's working, what's not, and bring that diversity to bear to then 
recognize that we might all have different views and allow that um, diversity, but build consensus on what needs to change and how across the different organizations and across sectors. Then with that consensus, we want to enable the collaboration to act on this across um, society, across those organizations and sectors. So it's not just talking about it, it's not just kind of agreeing, this is what we need to do, but how do we use all of our resources, levers we can pull, actions we can take to act on this and drive that change. We also recognize that loads of good stuff is happening across the country, Anyway, and actually it's not that we need some magic new silver bullets, but how can we find what is working, um, scale it through a systemic and a needs-based view. So rather than it being a lottery of, of what young people are getting, what opportunities, how can we really start to think about this um, systemically and scale what's working so that every young child is able to get those opportunities um, rather than just the lucky few. So we... Um, started in around 2012 and we've grounded all our work around these five fair education impact goals. So when we're talking about inequalities, we're talking about inequalities in five areas um, and all of our members have signed up to driving change in these things. So it's closing the gap in primary literacy and numeracy at primary school, a top one there, um, closing the gap in GCSE attainment at age 16, Closing the gaps in social competencies and mental health and well-being. Closing the gaps in um, differences in post-16 destinations. And closing the gap in university admissions. So all of our members in some way are working towards closing one or more of those goals, but are also committed to coming together collectively to drive change in those goals as well. We have released a report card every single year since 2014, and we measure progress in those collective impact goals. And we, this year, released the one that I mentioned in partnership with the Education Policy Institute. We've then um, had a team working on this, so my team um, since 2015. And it's been two of us um, since 2015, and it's gonna be slightly growing excitingly in the next couple of years. Um, we've had from 2017 what we've called the impact goal working groups, so bringing together organisations who are interested or working on each of those five impact goals together to take action. But then we realised that actually those goals are quite high level and don't really mean much. And so last year, 2018, we brought all of our members together to agree on three priority areas for systemic change um, in the education system that everybody believed would really accelerate our journey to closing those impact goals. And these were, so we went through quite a, all of our 150 organizations came together, voted on um, the different things that we could th think would make a difference. And as you can imagine, we actually had 170 different things that people thought needed to change in the education system uh, to improve things for disadvantaged pupils. But then we went through a process of, of um, prioritizing, saying what are the things that will make the biggest difference? And these were the three. And I'm going to start with this one, a system that develops the whole child, because I think that's really um, what I'm hearing is the theme of, of your work as Children's University and also the theme of today's conference. And that is what came out 
on top of what all of our organizations said was going to make the biggest difference to disadvantaged pupils. And that is creating an education system for every child that doesn't just value, that doesn't just measure academic success, but also values um, skills development and well-being, happiness. And actually, that is the single biggest thing that our members have voted on and want to make happen in order to ensure that we have a more equal education system. The other two um, were um, supporting teachers and leaders to thrive, particularly those in disadvantaged areas. So our schools are only um, as good as the teachers and leaders who work in them. And sadly, what we heard from our membership um, across the board was that we are not supporting our teachers and leaders to do the best possible job they can in today's education system. And so as a priority, we first need to enable them to do their jobs well, to do the, um, uh, the right thing for young people, no matter their background. And that this shouldn't be an act of bravery, but should be something that's kind of incentivized and um, rewarded. Um, in schools across the board, but also particularly those in disadvantaged areas. And then the third priority area that we all came together to decide on was support for all post-16 destinations. And the all word is really significant there because there's a lot of focus on um, uh, widening access to university, but actually thinking about all post-16 destinations and ensuring that we're giving young people the knowledge, skills and awareness to make the right decision for them about all the different things that are available to them after school. So we're now at 2019. The numbers to the right there are the numbers of members that we have. So we've now got 157 organizations um, involved, growing from 22 back in 2014, and delighted that Children's University joined in, in 2017. And the idea is that we're now using the collective um, clout and efforts and resources of all those um, organizations, along with their networks. So Children's University you are their network, you are the people who are working hard every day on these issues to change these things and to drive towards these three priorities. So the way that we do that is through three kind of buckets of activity. Um, so first of all, collective action. And we have three collective action projects on each of those three priorities. And Sonia, who's there, has been um, uh, joining us on the one around an education system that develops the whole child. And what we've been doing is working out, right, we are... Um, currently in a situation where not every child is, is getting an education that um, develops their whole whole self. How do we make an action plan to get from where we are now to a system where every child can, can have that type of education? And we're actually going to be um, launching a, a campaign of two parts at the end of this year um, where we bring together a <laughs> convince me narrative. So first of all, why does this matter? We're all kind of speak, preaching to the choir here that we kind of understand why it matters, why the evidence says that we need to be doing this, why it's going to make a difference to kids from all backgrounds. But actually, can we bring together a consistent narrative that all of our network can use to make the case for an education system that develops the whole child? But we're also going to have what we're calling a show me how suite of resources, which is how we can make this a reality. So what are the things that actually are working across the country on an education system that develops the whole child? So that's the kind of collective action projects. 
We then have policy and influencing. So using um, uh, the work that we're doing through the collective action projects to use that to influence government of um, this, both the civil service, but also MPs. I was recently at party conferences um, speaking about these three priorities and on behalf of all of our organizations saying, this is what we're calling for. And then thirdly, our programs under scaling impact are um, three programs, scaling partnerships, an entrepreneurship award, and an innovation award. So scaling partnerships is about working with seven initiatives, and that might be something that a teacher is doing, or a charity is doing, or um, a business is doing, to, that's working, that's, that's driving change in one of the three priority areas. Um, and helping, using our network, helping that to scale and helping that to get to more young people. And then the Entrepreneurship Award and the Innovation Award is an award, a salary for five um, individuals who have a fantastic new idea, either a member of the public for the Innovation Award or Entrepreneurship Award is someone who's within an existing organisation. So it might be, I met Amy earlier from Wolverhampton University, it might be that someone within Wolverhampton University has a fantastic idea to tackle education inequality, but you need a bit of support to help get that going and scale. So we'll be launching those three programs in the new year to help our network really scale what is happening. So in the spirit of the fact that um, the FEA is not about me saying how we're going to get to um, a fair education system for all, it is literally about drawing on everyone from all different um, diverse backgrounds who are close to this issue. I was asked to say um, both a little bit about the FEA, but also about how you can help us towards this vision of a fair education for all young people. Rather than me telling you how you can do that. Um, I wanted to suggest that we actually do a bit of a collaborative session in the way that a lot of our FEA um, sessions work. So in the next 10 minutes, um, what I'm going to ask you to do is find someone near you that you've never spoken to before and um, introduce yourselves, get to know each other, and then answer these three questions. What's your vision for a fair education? What role do you play in creating a fairer education system for all young people in your role, in your career, in your life? But how could you use the FEA network to help you achieve that vision more quickly than you can just kind of plowing on um, individually? And I think that's both using your network within Children's University, but also thinking how can you draw on the network of the Fair Education Alliance as well? So 10 minutes, um, and then I'll ask for some kind of thoughts from your pair and some great ideas as to what's hopefully come out of, of the conversation. So can anyone find someone around them that they've never spoken to before? Okay, so what I'm hoping is that you've had a really interesting conversation with someone maybe you didn't not fully know, but maybe you partly knew, someone that you hadn't spoken to extensively. Um, and I'd love to just get a um, two to three um, volunteers to share answers to each of these questions and what came out of those conversations and particularly how you think you all can play a role in driving the collective action towards the vision. So first of all, who would like to share um, some interesting conversations that you had with your partner about your vision for a fair education. What does it mean to you? So Helen and I were just talking in the, the session as well about the 
telling those powerful stories of the role that professionals are playing in making a difference, celebrating those, and then using those stories to get the investment that's needed and get the appreciation that's needed at, at that systemic level. But it's the kind of sum total of all those stories that we're not necessarily hearing at the moment. Yeah. I'm becoming a bit cynical, though, about stories. As you know, you've got the award for the best teacher in the world, and there are lots of stories now. But I think the power of this sort of network can be in the data. Because mm -hmm. I think data nowadays does tend to speak very loudly and, you know, you can't refute it if it's leading to a certain conclusion. So I think that what we could all do is help this alliance with the data that you need to go back to government to get the funding, to get the things that are needed to re-energize the whole teaching profession and the whole education system because it's the same in health. I actually know much more about healthcare because I, that's my background. And there's such a lot of parallels. It's a fragmented world. There are lots of champions and heroes in the healthcare world. I've heard millions of stories, but it's not enough. I think you need the data. Mm. And the data will, in the end, I think, force the money to flow. Fantastic. Does anybody else want to share um, any other themes that came out of your conversations? Yep. Something around the language that's used in schools. So I've spoken to children who are six or seven and asked them how children's university makes them feel. And they say it makes them feel cleverer than they actually are, which I think is heartbreaking. Uh, I think I've got a daughter who's just going into a school to train to be a secondary teacher. Her understanding of social mobility is the, the start of a drive for a change in those conversations in school, but you've also got lots of professionals who don't have the language of social mobility. So within a school, um, for me, children should start to uh, be introduced to the language of success and progress very early on, 14 or 16 or 12 is too late. We have to help them to understand that they have an entitlement to the best education that they can get. Uh, I will stand up in front of an assembly in all sorts of schools and promise the children that I talk to that regardless <clears throat> of their household circumstances, they can achieve at Children's University, which they kind of go, phew, it's not going to cost anything. But actually, why don't they have the opportunity to have a small amount of money that's been invested in them for their formal education to be allocated to help them to discover what they might like outside of school. So I think uh, the language that's used in schools is very important. I work with, and I'm sure we all work with schools where the teachers say, my children won't do this, our parents won't do that, or should we just ask them? Um, so trying to really support staff who've been in schools for a long time and encourage those youngsters who are moving into schools because that's the start of their career to talk the same language. I think there's a big gap between, it's all a bit stayed in some places, if that even makes sense. Yeah, really helpful. Great, and have we got time for one more and then, yeah, brilliant. Having an interesting discussion with Jackie earlier, we come from sort of different areas in terms of um, the NHS and an education side. But I think we both have found a, a common path in terms of pathways to success and that they don't necessarily have to follow the traditional route. 
I come from Kent, which is all about the 11 plus, and some children are tutored from the womb how to pass a test. Um, so I was one of the only people in Kent that was very happy when a grammar school failed its Ofsted inspection because they said, we get 96% who get A star to C. Well, you should do. Your children come to school technically more able than the children from the local comprehensive. So I think in terms of vision for a fair education, completely take on board what they were saying around trying to encourage the best teachers into our toughest schools um, as role models, but also it's about valuing education in its widest context, whether that be an apprenticeship, whether that be college, whether that being an entrepreneur, and not always having negative role models impacting on your own self-belief. You can't do that, you shouldn't do that. Whether that's a teacher, whether that's a parent, whether that's your friend. So that that's the sort of one of the things we talked about. Brilliant, thank you. Um, I think we're gonna to move to questions in a second, but just on the three points that have come out there, I wanted to kind of highlight that, so there was the kind of discussion about the combination of qualitative and quantitative evidence. There was the point about the language that is used in schools, and then there was the point about kind of different pathways to education, how we talk about those. The fascinating thing to me about all of those things are they're all within our control to some extent. So the way that we as individuals kind of go to work every day and um, talk to young people, whether we're both gathering the data and sharing our stories about what's working, what's not working, and the way that we're kind of thinking about pathways to education, we're all playing that role in either making an education system that develops the whole child or not. And there's a certain extent to which the, we also need to use that collective clout to influence kind of government policy and, and what's happening um, at a systemic level. But there's also stuff that we can all do. If you think about the FEA network and that each of the 150 organisations has a network again of kind of several hundred networks like yourselves of either teachers or youth workers or um, whoever it may be. If we all kind of started internalising and, and really championing this stuff, it's kind of thinking about what, what kind of change could we start to make. And then if we came together with that and then used that to kind of influence those who might disagree with us or um, uh, not necessarily agree, that's, it's the kind of power of, of the collective. So I'll leave you with that thought. You may disagree or agree, um, but that's the kind of theory of the Fair Education Alliance. And really delighted that Children's University are a member and delighted to have you as a network as part of this um, effort, as a, as a product of that. And looking forward to answering any questions you have just picking up on what you've been talking about in terms of evidence and data and, and stories and um the convince me and the show me how parts of the work that you're doing at the moment and i know that we at cu trust have provided some evidence for for some of that but i'd like to get a sense from you in terms of on a really really practical level what could we as a network be giving the FEA in terms of data, evidence, stories for, for those two pieces of work without bombarding you with, <laughs> with way too much yeah. information. 
So I agree, by the way, on the conversation that was had, that it is, it's definitely both. And I had, I, I heard someone speaking um, in the last 24 hours, and I cannot recall who it was, um, about how you influence ministers and how you influence civil servants on their decision making. And um, there is a, um, this lady was saying that it is um, a combination of the kind of big, long research evidence reports that give you statistics about if we develop um, skills, it has this amount of impact on progress eight. Um, and those statistics do work. But she was saying, this, this civil servant, that actually the thing that really makes the difference is a story that really connects with a minister. Um, and a minister either visits a um, local area and sees, it, sees something in action or hears someone really um, compelling speak about something that they've been doing. Um, and actually those stories are often just from from it could be you, it could be it could be me, it could be it could be anyone. It's just what what connects. So so in answer to your question, the practical things is I think sharing your story, but not in a kind of formal case study way with a big long three hundred word essay and some artificial stock pictures, but just kind of um, maybe like uh, uh, something happens on a on a normal day on a normal Wednesday with a young person. Someone said earlier about what's the most exciting story that Saeed's ever had of a young person um, uh, uh, has said to you. It's those things. And actually, how do we, um, can, can you provide them to the FEA so that we can start showcasing those? And one of the things that I really want to do is just start showing them like on our website and on um, putting them public. So maybe we have little Vox Pops and things like that. So th th those stories, and then I think the other piece of the puzzle is, is the data. So actually collecting that data. And I know that you're all um, uh, going to be gathering data on the impact of the Children's University programme as well. But that, that data and evidence on the impact that it does have on, on the stuff that, um, rightly or wrongly, we are measuring in the education system at the moment. Great. I think we've probably got time in this session for maybe one more question. I don't think a lot of state schools realise what support is out there to actually improve their facilities at very little cost. I think these facilities underpin then the enrichment opportunities and the opportunities for learning. I don't think there's enough support for schools in particular so they realise what is out there. From my own experience, I've stumbled into this across the last couple of years, but one councillor has given the school £370,000 uh, Section 106 funding towards a hockey astroturf. Now that surface is going to transform opportunities for children at that school and bring what is quite a wealthy affluent sport generally into a normal state school. Is there any way the FEA network can help disseminate what is possible? Because I'm sure as all these children universities would benefit so much more if schools within their localities did have access to first class facilities. And there's national governing bodies, Section 106 funding, loads of funders out there that many of us are oblivious to. However, the, the public schools and those with the wherewithal actually know about these and they seem to be the ones predominantly tapping into that funding. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's a great point and um, one that really calls out the fact that there is actually a lot of funding, a lot of goodwill, a lot of support available, but there's this mismatch on almost it getting to uh, those who need it and, and, and the, the places that might want it. And it always shocks me I, um, when I speak to teachers and, and leaders and they're like, whoa, there's all these charities and social enterprises out there that could help. The kids in my school, 
I'd love that. So, so yes, in answer to your question, that's one of the things that we really want to do is, is make it more uh, known, make it more accessible to say, these are the different things that are out there, both fund, access to funding, um, but also access to the different services and things that are in, in um, uh, across the FEA network and beyond um, to get that visibility. So, yeah. I'm feeling really bad now, having one played lacrosse at school and loved it, and two, having been a fundraiser working in an independent school, getting access to that, all that information, and you know that other schools can't can't get yeah, have I mean, access to. Uh, Sport England have got this community activation grants. It's just been launched in Solihull and Birmingham, and it's the simplest way I've ever heard of people in the communities being able to access £500. Literally, anyone within the sorry. Anyone within that locality can submit a bid for £500. It could be for a lacrosse coach to come in and introduce a sport at a school field or a local organisation on Saturday, holidays. And literally the application process now, they're getting away from bid writers and councils putting in £70,000 bids where people on the ground, as you said, alluded to earlier, they, have this, they know what's needed but are so far away. So... That's one example of a grant where the application process is that simple that they can literally WhatsApp a video, explain what they'd like to see, the difference it will make, and Sport England will authorise £500. That's brilliant. And there's other grants as well. If anyone hasn't applied, Greg's. It's not the healthiest, of course, but... Other vegan sausage rolls are available. Right, OK. <laughs> if you haven't looked at their grants, that, again, was a simple process, £1,800. And two hours work but that funding we used towards an outdoor center and they're really keen to get grants in their communities as you say earlier photo opportunities children that's what they want so if anyone hasn't applied for you know one of those grants they're easy to do and there are far more out there and i just think it took me a couple of years of gradually getting into this but I think if you almost had a one-stop shop and people were aware of it, I'm sure there's lots of people around here. We're just crying out for funds. Mm. Can I can I tell one story that was absolutely alarmed me the other day? So um, I was talking. I'm not going to name who it was, but I was talking to a major business funder who funds kind of um, things in the education space, and it was coming to the end of their funding cycle, and they had um, quite a large pot of money, two hundred thousand um, pounds left over to spend, but they needed to spend it within kind of two weeks so so they were saying who can we give it to who can we give it to and, and they said that in previous years they'd basically just given it to a charity that they knew of and because they had to get rid of it within the next two weeks whereas thankfully um, in the one-stop shop thing they, they came to the fair education alliance and said right where do you think this is this is best needed and we were able to say right there's lots of different organizations let's look at your criteria what impact do you want to make these are the different types of organizations that are doing that type of thing and be a bit more strategic in where and how that money is going but that's by no means kind of perfect either because we don't have all of the information about where where the need is um, but what it really sparked in my mind is there is this money and support out there there are people who really want to have an impact with that money but without the kind of information flow of what's needed and where it can have the impact you end up making decisions I mean luckily the, the end of the story the charity it went to in the previous year was a, a 
good charity and um, it wasn't a total disaster but actually it, it, it wasn't thought through and it wasn't strategic so so yes the more we can help connect that information flow of what money is out there what what goals did they have to use that money and and how do we connect up with the need then um, the, the better and I think that's where you know alliances like the FEA are so important thank you very much can we can we please say a formal thanks to Sam Thanks for listening to the Children's University Live podcast. The episode was recorded at the Children's University Conference that was held in Manchester at the Federation with kind support from the Co-op Foundation and in partnership with Luminate. Further information about Children's University and the content featured in this episode can be found in the show notes. The soundtrack is Sleet and Snow by My First Tooth and is courtesy of Alcapop Records. This podcast was produced and presented by me, Vic Elizabeth Turnbull, and is a Mike Media production.